Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Todd McCullough is a former starting linebacker from one of the best college programs in the country, the Florida Gators. And now Todd is one of the best in the business when it comes to all things working out at home, which he's doing through his incredible brand, TMAC Fitness. And look, we're all working out at home right now. And in this time of COVID-19, many of us are thinking about spirituality. And Todd is an outspoken Christian, which, let's be honest, can be stigmatized in the world of wellness. So in today's podcast, we're going to go deeper than just the home workout. We're going to talk about the stigma of Christianity in the wellness world and more. It's such an honor to have Todd here. He's one of the kindest people in the world who is a true joy to be around. And I'm just so happy he's here with us today. Todd, welcome. Glad to be here, brother. I'm glad you're finally here. You know, you have the you know traditional path that most people in wellness have from <laughs> Baker County, Florida, northern tip of Florida on the, the border of Georgia, to playing football at the University of Florida for the legendary Urban Meyer, stint in finance, to yoga teacher training, the traditional linear path that everyone has here in the world of well-being in 2020. I think all my family thinks I'm crazy because I'm the only one in Baker <laughs> County doing yoga. And then I think everyone on the West Coast thinks I'm crazy because I'm talking about Jesus and doing yoga and all this stuff. So, oh my God. Yeah, it's craziness. <laughs> so what, what was it like growing up in Baker County, Florida? And just talk about, like, you played football at the University of Florida for Urban Meyer. It's a and Big Steve deal. Spurrier. And Spurrier. Yeah. Got, tr- uh, wow, you had both of I had, them. I had three head coaches, which means we weren't very good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Steve Spurrier growing up, um, it'd be hard to, unless you're from the South, Steve Spurrier was like Mr. Football. He'd be like Nick Saban of today. Yeah. And so I grew up with like, you know, dreaming of playing football for it. I had the Danny Warfel posters, the Steve Spurriers. <laughs> um, and, you know, being in a small town, I always say you get really good at football or really good at hunting. <laughs> I chose football. Uh, I was fortunate enough to, you know, get a scholarship there and played for Spurrier, which never in a million years think he would ever leave. And then all of a sudden, one year later, we find out on ESPN that he's going to the Redskins. You found that on the news. We found that on the news. Oh, that's kind of it is. Yeah, uh, not not too good. Steve, come on. I know, right? <sighs> and he ended up, you know, going to the Redskins, which didn't work out great. Um, but then Ron Zook came in for three years, and then we had three years with Zook. And as you and I were talking, like eight and five, just works for some programs. It doesn't work for the University of Florida. Like if you're at the University of Florida, you're there to win championships. Like there's no other option. You're either winning an SEC or a national championship. And then that didn't happen. And then we brought in Urban Meyer my senior year, um, which was a hell of a learning experience. I mean, I wish I had more years with Urban. I mean, I'd like, I'd like to say it was an easier transition. <laughs> He's quite the competitor. Uh, but gosh, so many leadership skills there that I was able to take now and been able to apply to my own personal business in life. So what are some of those lessons? I, I read his book years ago. I was like, wow. It's above this, the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great book. So like, uh, what were some of the lessons from Urban? So I think one of the brilliant things that Urban did was building systems to hold people accountable. So like most football guys, um, you know, coaches are football guys, right? So like they're great at football. But I always say that Urban, and I ended up working at Merrill Lynch after Florida, could be, you know, an executive at Merrill Lynch the way he ran Florida, as opposed to like coaching, I think it's like what, 85 roughly kids on scholarship, as opposed to trying to coach all the kids, he coached the coaches and set the bar really high. I mean, if you were the linebacker coach at Florida, he would literally call you out and say, you're supposed to be the best linebacker coach in the country. If you're not, you're out of here. And he would say <laughs> it from all the kids. And like that level of expectation was that high. Um, whereas, you know, literally if 
something went bad at practice, you were worried about losing your job like that. And everything was competitive. So you take your normal drills like you probably did in basketball. And, you know, I was kind of like the, the kid that was, you know, there's usually 13 linebackers on scholarship. I was by far probably the worst athlete, whether I was a freshman or senior. And, you know, you go through these cone drills you do every, you know, 6 a.m. in the morning. And if you're a hardworking guy, you're usually competing up there in the front. But he basically had a scorecard where someone went by for a win and loss, like a you know a check for a win and loss, et cetera, and kept score. So now the guys that were like really good athletes that would kind of coast, the punishment was brutal. <laughs> like you would be diving to finish over the line, right, to win. And so I didn't win a whole lot after that. But the other brilliant thing I thought he did was, like, again, as far as, you know, most of the guys, you go to University of Florida – Let's be real. Like you all think you're going to the NFL, sure, right? I'm sure there's some basketball programs like that as well. And what Urban did, like he got kids to go to class, really, which I never in a million years would <laughs> thought would happen at Florida. <laughs> and so, like he, like little, I was saying little systems, right? So, for example, if you missed uh, a class, right, you were there at like 4:30 in the morning with the strength coach. Now the strength coach is already getting his ass up early anyway to train, right? And so now he's there punishing the hell out of you right and so if you miss it again all say you're a linebacker all of us linebackers 13 of us are there at like 4 30 in the morning working out right with the linebacker coach right we were talking my linebacker coach was charlie strong he went on to be a head coach at a couple of different places so now charlie's pissed off all of us are pissed off and so you can imagine like now you're sitting there after saturday or you know friday night your teammates hung over like not wanting to get up and do stuff you're going to drag his ass to class or whatever you have to do. And then, I mean, you essentially he set up a system where the seniors or the captains could vote someone off the team. Oh, wow. So, like, it just basically took the same group of guys and just made it ultra competitive. And, and what I, from what I remember from reading his book, very big on alignment, almost in a military way where everyone – you know, whether it was the linebacker coach or the quarterback coach, everyone had to be aligned. And if one of those coaches was not aligned, the coach was not a fit. Yeah, and I, it's been a couple of years since I've read that, right? And it's like, I think one of the things he, he recognized was like, you could be a brilliant coach, right? You probably see the same thing you hear with your work. But if you don't believe in the system overall, yes. you need to get out, Yep. right? It's better to have someone who believes in the system from top down all the way down to the video guy. Like everyone was accountable and needed to be a part of the system. No brilliant jerks or wildly talented jerks. Didn't matter. No, it didn't matter. You were there to win. And so did he operate? I'm curious. Like, you should that, have him on the podcast. It'd be crazy. He's not coaching. Maybe, maybe he's a listener. Maybe, maybe he's he listening. I think his daughter I saw was getting in fitness. Oh, maybe. Well, we're, we're ready for you guys. We're here in New York. We're ready anytime. Coach, come on. <laughs> so I'm curious, like, how, how much of him do you think was the – like it was the secret to his success, the the system. People will talk about like Bill Belichick, the system, and getting everyone to buy into the system. Uh, and how much of it, like, do you think he had the ability to motivate and get the best out of athletes in a way that was unique? Yeah, I mean, he could literally before a game, you think you could jump off a cliff and survive. Like the amount of belief and self-confidence he instilled in you uh, is he's truly remarkable. He coached, I believe, under Lou, under Lou Holtz, who's also one of the sure. old-time greats as far as motivation. So I would think he probably learned a lot from Coach Holtz. But his ability to motivate someone during the offseason and then in, in, on top of that uh, in the locker room before a game. I can remember our first meeting he came in, and it was just like, wow, that guy's different. Like just his presence. 
So we can't talk about the University of Florida football without oh, talking about Aaron Hernandez. I'd be yeah. remiss not to ask about him. I know you didn't play with him, but mm-hmm. you, you've, you've met him. And just a little bit about Aaron and your take on th- that. It's just sad and crazy on so many levels. Yeah, I mean, it's super sad. I mean, people lost their life. His family's ever, you know, forever changed. Um, you know, obviously the University of Florida doesn't like that stuff, but I've had other teammates who weren't as well known as Aaron, you know, go down similar paths. Um, and it's something you don't hear about a lot because they're not, their names aren't necessarily as big as Aaron. And I think that there's a few things going on. Uh, and again, I can't speak for Aaron itself, but I'll speak as a football player growing up in that culture and that, and why I think mindfulness and what you guys do and what I'm doing with the mind right meditation should be implemented in some capacity in sports programs, especially violent sports like football and hockey. Sure. Um, you know, maybe basketball as well. But if you grow up, Usually football players, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball or tied in, you grew up probably with a lot of anger, right? And a way for you to channel that was the football field. And then what happens when the football field is you, you can't play anymore? What happens when you go home to your wife? Right, you're practicing violence. Exactly. And it's a great channel, right? I always say for me, my faith, luckily I found Christ at an early age. Between Christ and football, I was able to release a lot of that kind of built-up aggression, Right. And so, you know, now football is getting a bad rap about do you let your kids play. And I honestly would prefer my kid probably not. But for a certain aggressive male out there, there's something that's beneficial to being able to run into other people violently. And then, you know, that typically makes for a better football player. Right. Like your choir boy is not going to make an SEC linebacker. It's just not. And so when you see guys that kind of grow up with that, and a lot of them, I was fortunate to have two loving parents. Most of the guys I played with never did that. Most of them never saw a positive male role model. They never saw how to treat a woman, how to treat people. And, you know, we all remember the horrible Ray Rice incident, right? Mm -hmm. Where he punched his girlfriend or wife, whoever it was. And that looks horrible. It's absolutely horrible. But, and again, I don't know Ray, but when you normally like your normal stimulus what you found out from an early kid is when you get stimulus you respond with aggression right your physicality gets you out of that and it gets you out of maybe a tough environment but then eventually what got you there you have to evolve beyond that mm-hmm. and i think that's where the mindfulness being able to come back to your breath and help some of these athletes you know i do think it'll improve their performance on the field but i think ultimately it'll keep them from you know also ruining their life potentially yeah, and for those listening who aren't familiar with Hernandez, there was a brilliant Netflix documentary. You know, to, to, to try to sum it up, um, you know, killed multiple people. Ultimately, took his own life. Uh, terrible situation at home, uh, closeted, uh, potentially suffering from CT. Like every box you could check yeah. in terms of for someone to be really mentally unstable, it was was checked. Yeah, and I, I haven't watched the documentary. It's a little too close for home, but guys, you know, the, Aaron was a couple of years younger than me, and some guys that obviously had carry over to teammates. And we, they said we played with a lot worse guys. It's you know, scary. Yeah, a lot, a lot of guys that had more violent upbringings than Aaron. So, what do you think? I'll just close the loop on football. Is it the is it the transition from practicing violence to trying to be 
a loving, uh, kind person that people struggle with? Is it the CT, essentially their brain injury? Mm-hmm. Is it all the above? Like in your, I think it's all the above, right? Like if you go back to like generations ago, like the warrior clans, right? Like they're on the front lines. These are your 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 modern day UFC guys, your modern day hockey guys, your football guys. I think it's part of your genetics. A lot of your most football players are wired to have more aggression, I believe. And again, they learn that when you get stimulus, you respond with violence. And that, again, that works in the football realm. But then how do you switch it off when you go home? Right? Because as soon as you get that stimulus, we all respond. Like someone beeps a horn at you, maybe you flick them off. Like you don't even think about it. Like whatever that is. Like you, we all have these built-in responses that happen when we get stimulus. Maybe we hold our breath. Right? And this may sound like silly to pretend to that, but from a football standpoint, is when we get stimulus, it goes click. And we try to end it right now. And that's just how we were, most of us were brought up. I mean, I can remember my first year going to Florida. Probably shouldn't talk about this. But I grew up in a, you know, a small country town where there's a lot of things that are great about that town. You know, like if you signed a contract, it was basically a handshake. You right. know, someone's handshake was as good as any contract that I've come across in L.A., right? <laughs> Seriously. I mean, it was like, that's the family name. Like you, if the McCullough signed this or the Davis family or whoever, you uphold that, Right. And the same, and you know, one of the other things with that comes like, if someone tests you or tries you, you solve it right now. You don't wait for the police. You don't wait for any of that. You end it, right? And then usually most people walk away. But I remember growing up like that, and that's kind of how I was raised. And I went to Florida my my freshman year, and a guy had said something about my girlfriend or whatever. Didn't even think about it, right? And this is a guy who grew up in a loving home. Got in the car, found, I didn't even know what the guy looked like. Got in the car. Um, found out he was wearing a yellow shirt, hopped out. He was at a fraternity thing, got out of the car, punched him in the face, knocked out his teeth, got in my pickup truck and drove home and went to bed. And t- then the cops came to come arrest me later that night. And luckily back then we could kind of get away Steve with Steve didn't take care of that for you? Well, we were, you know, back, back, back then we were able to get away a little bit more. Um, but I literally was going back to sleep. Like, did, wow. didn't even think twice. Knowing you, this is, like, so out of, like, for you guys listening, Todd is, like, the sweetest, like, <laughs> nicest guy in the world. We've come, Like I said, my family, it says I've come a long way. Um, but I think, again, just growing up in that environment, God knows what. And you were a good guy on the team. I was a good guy, right? <laughs> I was a good guy. Um, but, again, choir boys don't make good SEC linebackers. Um, but, again, this was something. I was, like I said, I was more of the good guys, right? I grew up in a loving home. But that was just how I was raised. And so it sounds silly now. Think, obviously, now you look back, you're like, oh, my God. Like, I remember sitting in front of the state attorney and saying, like, he could put me away for three to five years for assault and battery. Scaredest I've ever been. My enti- the most intimidating I've ever been was a short, short attorney saying he could put me away for three to five years for assault and battery. And that, to me, is just, again, where I'm at now in life is something I want to share with other athletes in the sense of how, how far this mindfulness can come uh, to well, help you prevent from making those kind of decisions. Well, let's talk about that transition. So how did you go from that guy, so to speak, who didn't like what someone said to his girlfriend and knocking knocking someone out and potentially going to prison for, for three years to yoga teacher training? Because that's the natural path. It's, of course. Of course. <laughs> that's a long journey. Um, I'd say two things. Again, like I said, I was not much, again, I was not like the, I want to paint the picture that I was a crazy aggressive fighter. No, but, but right, but it, those things were part of my childhood. Um, so I would say two things that that helped me. Besides, so when I was younger, I came to know Jesus Christ at twelve, 
and picking up the Bible and learning how to be a man through the Bible, reading the Gospels, reading the book of Proverbs, this was a profound impact on my life. So I had, still had that urge, but I was learning to somewhat turn the other cheek and was aware of that. And so that was a part of, I think, what kept me out of trouble as well. And then as I got older, you know, you, I think like most athletes, and it sounds like if I recall in your book, you go through this transition as well. Your whole identity is based in sports, mm-hmm. right? And so then what happens afterwards? And, you know, you're going from the University of Florida where every Saturday 90-plus thousand people are in the stands, right? And I never, like, I knew afterwards I'd eventually have to get a job, but going to sit in at a cubicle from 9 to 5 after playing in front of 100,000 people every weekend is fucking boring, <laughs> right? Let's be real. And I was struggling, you know, got to have a long relationship. I think that helped kind of the, you know, the journey too. It was like, you know what? I need to get something different. Like I remember going to a Florida football game and all these Florida Gators, you know, the guys that I grew up watching were all kind of, you know, sitting around talking about the glory days in their thirties and forties. I didn't want to be sitting around the rest of my damn life talking about the glory days, right? I had a whole lot, lot of life to live, but didn't know what that looked like. And was working at Merrill Lynch at the time in finance as a financial advisor. I always say a joke, probably the only personal trainer with a Series 7. <laughs> I had a Series 7 in yeah, yeah. 63. That's a, in a 63, I had that one too. It's a fun <laughs> test. It is a fun test. You know, at Merrill back then, like, if you scored below a 7, you got fired. Oh, really? Yeah, so you're watching that dot go. And all of a sudden, <laughs> if you hit 69, you're fired. So, anyway... From that, I had Merrill Lynch. I was like, I needed a change. Played football with a guy from Ventura, California. Went out and visited him. I was like, well, hell. We went out for LA in LA. I was like, well, LA's not necessarily me, but it's a hell of a lot more fun than North Florida being single, 25 years old. So I had Merrill Lynch transfer me to Century City. And then that is right in the middle of 2008 when the market crashed. So great timing. Yep. And so I show up there and... Within four months, pretty much all of us young brokers who were just, you know, fat, so to speak, on the balance sheet just got laid off. And I just moved there. You know, it's funny at God's timing, right? Like if I would have been there for a year, I probably would have had my L.A. experience and then probably went back to another firm in Florida. But I was like, I just got here. I want to figure out how to survive. And my clients at the time were always like, all right, Todd, we trust you with our money, but can you get us in shape? Can, can you, I, I guess they thought that that's what I could help them with. I was like, I'm your financial advisor. <laughs> uh, and so then a lady that cut my hair in Beverly Hills, um, I was like, well, she'd asked me to train her and I'd said no. And I was like, well, I don't have a job now, so I can train you. Yet you're still getting your hair cut in Beverly Hills. <laughs> what were you doing, Todd? I was walking, you, you would appreciate, this is, how, this is how this came. So it shows you how, how far, I was walking in Beverly Hills in the middle of the day with uh, a wife beater on and some old gym shorts and this woman that cut hair in Beverly Hills was like, come inside. We want to take care of you. And I was like, do I look that strange? I, I think you, you're that good looking. Uh, yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> Appreciate that. Appreciate that. I'm sure it was the wife beater. Um, she definitely told us. Sure. If you walked around shirtless around LA, Todd, a lot of people would say, come inside. We want to take care of you. Very kind. <laughs> Very kind. Uh, well, yeah. And I think I even wrote about this on Mind, Body, Green before was, I went to yoga because, you know, my body was, the backstory of this, my body was hurting the whole time too, right? Mm-hmm. From, you know, I had five surgeries from football and I, I would, you know, I'm an athlete. I have to wake up each day moving, and which I've got, I imagine you've struggled with as well. It's like when you don't move, you don't feel quite yourself. Mm-hmm. At least I was struggling with that. And so I couldn't go lift the way I used to lift in the gym without just, I, by noon I'd be hurting. And so I was, you know, in the back of my mind looking for a way to, to sweat and still feel good. But honestly, this really attractive girl asked me to yoga class. And I was like, well, she's hot, so I'll go to yoga class. 
And I found a way to sweat where it didn't hurt my body. And I went to this amazing teacher. Anyone's in LA, go go check out Vinny Marino's class. Oh, you went to Vinny. Vinny. The class, like the, the king of the king of yoga on the west side of LA. Oh, I had no business being Yoga there. Works Santa Monica That's Main Street. Main Street. The best. <laughs> the the epicenter. The epicenter. I mean, I was so you know, his classes are like sold out, like seventy people. It's like a, I joke, like it's like a you go there on a Tuesday at like a mm-hmm. 9 a.m. class, mm-hmm. which is like the most inconvenient time ever. And it's like, a, there's a line out the working. door. Yeah. It's like a casting call. Like there's actors there, everyone, and it's mat on mat. They like shut the, the air off. It is just, and he plays rock and roll and he, it, yeah, so. he's give, I would literally schedule my clients around his teaching schedule. <laughs> I mean, he was my guru, so to speak. I would go to his class almost every day for probably five years. There's so many teachers now that are great teachers. Kaylee, who, who teaches with you guys. Sure. Kaylee and a bunch of us would all be at their like front row in his class, just soaking it up. I remember going, Colleen and I went to Catherine Beauty's class like before Vinny at like seven or six AM and Catherine had like 60 70 like it was a yeah. it was a big Catherine at, at was a like, big at teacher six there. and seven and yeah. then Vinny was right i'm like oh my god <laughs> yoga and santa monica is like football in the south man they don't mess around yeah so yeah, yeah he's great so that was kind of the, my introduction so to speak to yoga and to be honest with the first couple of years the meditation part i just lay down and slept i mean it didn't register to me i was just there to sweat um and then it wasn't until years later that my injuries really flared up. I couldn't even do a chaturanga. For those of you listening in, our, in the yoga, it's like the lower part of a push-up. I couldn't even do that on my shoulder. Um, and again, I was about to go crazy because I couldn't sweat. And so, you know, living in Santa Monica, it was happening in the wintertime. I would go out to the ocean at sunrise during the winter and just sit in the ocean and just freeze. And that, and started doing uh, some breathing and kind of my morning prayer that I, you know, like, like I said, I came into Christ at 12. And my, ever since I've been, it was 12, pretty much I've, almost every morning I'd start the day, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the blessings you've given me. Be with my family today type thing. And so I would do that and jump in the ocean. And I felt great. Like I wasn't getting a workout, but it was a way for me to kind of shock the system, so to speak. And I felt that cold was like, it was so cold to stay in that. It was probably about 57, 58 degrees. It forces you to remove the mind from the body. Mm-hmm. And that's really where my meditation, more than yoga, took off. Was like, all right, I'm going to stay in this five minutes today. I'm going to stay in it 10 minutes. I'm going to stay in it 20 minutes. And eventually, you know, Wim Hof, who's obviously sure. gotten really big at this, it forces you to take the mind outside of the body. And I basically was able to... learn that skill and then bring that and merge that with my early prayers a Christian. And that's what kind of led to this, you know, mind right meditation, so to speak. So before we go to the mind right meditation, it's clear that being a Christian is a big part of your Mm -hmm. life. It's a big part of who you are. Um, Well, yes. And I mean, a lot of people would say I'm not Christian. I don't know. I mean, I really don't. People say that really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from the hardcore, really conservative Christian people, they would probably say I'm not Christian. What do they say? So, I mean, I, I believe that we're all, like my views have changed, right? Like coming from the conservative South, like, and then moving to LA, you experience different cultures, different ways of life. Um, and I learned to see God in my Muslim brother and sister, my Jewish brother and sister, my gay friends. Um, these are things that went against traditional Christianity. And I think that's why some people have a bad rap about it. Some Christianity because of being a little bit too judgmental as opposed to taking the way Christ lived his life and loving everyone, um, even if you disagree. 
And so I think a lot of, like, I see us all as connected as brothers and sisters, white, black, green, yellow, gay, straight, Christian, Muslim. I think we're all connected. Um, And Christ is how I found God. And it's absolutely critical and it's it's part of who I am. So I can't deny that Christ isn't real. But at the same time, the dogma approach of like, we have the only way, like a lot of Christians feel. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that necessarily. I see, like I said, I see God in all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we should be recognized by our, our fruits as opposed to, I don't really think God gives a shit like what religion we say, what camp we're in. And I would say some Christians say that, well, then Todd believes that, then Todd's not a Christian. And that's totally fine. Like they're totally able to keep that viewpoint. I don't, you know, it doesn't bother me. Sure. So I think in the wellness world, you know, you have people subscribe to astrology and tarot cards. Tarot cards. I pulled those in the day. Jesus, that was crazy. <laughs> and then so you hear so often, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Yeah. Um, people subscribe to all, all sorts of different things. And, and people speak openly about this. Mm-hmm. Like part of the conversation you'd have on, you know, Abikini or Main Street, yep. the west side of L.A. However, what you don't hear a lot is you know i'm a christian or right. i'm going to like is there is there a stigma a great, in our world yeah i think in the, the wellness what, world which is, which is so fascinating right because i come from two, i've come from such a place and then i lived in such a place in santa monica they're completely different right like for example just to highlight the difference right during the 16 2016 election my town went 90 plus percent trump right and i lived in santa monica that was what 90 something percent hillary mm-hmm. and i would listen to my friends that I go to yoga class with being so judgmental about these conservative Christians. And then I would go back to the South and hear these conservative Christians who love Jesus be so judgmental about everyone that was voting for Hillary. And it was interesting that I was, I knew these people on a personal level and they were great people. Right? If they had to sit down and have a cup of coffee together, they'd get along just fine. They probably had different ways of going about solving issues, but most of them are all good people wanting the same thing. Um, and so I think that in the yoga world, you know, coming from the West Coast or even here in New York, you don't hear a lot about talking about Jesus and those things. And, you know, I would say that it's interesting because if you read the Bible, so Psalms 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Sure. All right. And Sounds like Wim Hof. It's, right? <laughs> <laughs> Wim Hof's going about it, some hard breathing. Do we just think is is Wim Hof a descendant of Christ? Is, he could is, be. He, kind of, you know, he he's, got the, he's, he's got, got the beard. He's got the beard. He's sitting around. He yeah. kind of dresses skin. Like maybe we yeah. just uncovered here or something, guys. But isn't that what every time you see it, even in yoga works, right? Like you see Wim Hof is Christ. That's amazing. But that's even something you see on the. In the Sorry, guys. No, you're good. I love me some Wim Hof. We just start some breathing now. Uh, but you even see that in the yoga world. At yoga works, right? Like. Yoga is the ability to still the mind, mm-hmm. right? Well, it talks about this in the Bible, meditate on that word, right? And so these things pop up, and I think a lot of Christians have a hard time with this word meditation because then they, they associate it with this West Coast hippie Buddha type thing. Um, and I'm not saying that necessarily they're completely aligned, but for me, I think that anytime we can still the mind, I think movement's just a way for us to kind of tap into our bodies, Um and then once we can tap into our bodies, it's easier to still the mind, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what my work's about. But yeah, I think that it's interesting to see how both sides think they're both 100% right and the other side's 100% wrong. It, it's just crazy. It's symbolic of what's happening in the world right now. It is. We got the whatever you subscribe to, whether it's politics or uh, holistic 
practices versus Western medicine, we seem to live in a world of absolutes and not a lot of discussion about the middle. It's interesting, and I'm curious your thoughts on this. I'm just literally thinking of this as we're talking. On, On the more spirituality side, I do think that like we are designed to know our creator, right? I think it's in, like, if you look throughout cultures, almost every culture throughout time is seeking the heavens, seeking God, so to speak. And I'm curious from the spirituality side, what do you see as far as, because you need some sort of base, like what your morality, right? Like what, why, why would killing someone be wrong? So where do you learn this moral value from in the spirituality side without pointing to a specific religion, right? Again, I think religions necessarily maybe miss the point, right. but it's an interesting conversation to have is where do we find what makes it wrong for me to throw this water on you, right? Like where do we derive these, these moral values from? Did we evolve and just eventually learn this through time is what, you know, I think most atheists would probably say, or were these kind of handed down from some sort of divine presence? And that's an interesting place. Right. Hey, look, you're talking to a guy. I, I grew up going to church. I taught Sunday school. Did you really? Yeah, I taught Sunday school. You were a tall-ass Sunday school teacher. I was like in junior high. And then, you know, like a lot of people went to college and forgot about church. Yep. Threw, threw a lot of those things out the window when it, when, and then brought them back. I remember going to, uh, I, at Columbia, we were lucky there were a couple like beautiful churches like Riverside Church. And so I would show up by myself in church at there were a couple of moments one i thought i was getting thrown out of school (laughs) i i should have been thrown out of school long story uh that's when you know it's like there are no atheists in foxholes exactly there are no atheists when you get your when you think you're getting thrown out of college right Um, absolutely so at any rate like you know I, i don't attend church but i grew up christian i will watch uh joel osteen yeah, you'll watch Joel. Yeah, well, he's what I like about him. I, I think his message is universal. Like, mm-hmm. if I go back to like when people say like I'm spiritual, I'm not religious. Yeah. Like, I think he he's he's a great speaker. Reminds me of you know I remember uh, for me personally, my mother gave me a copy of The Power of Positive Thinking, Norman Vincent Peale, wow. when I was like thirteen or fourteen. My dad gave me a Playboy. Oh, really? Different, different, <laughs> different, different reading material. Different material, yeah. Uh, uh, but no, anyway. I'm curious, like, how, now how are you and Colleen going to raise your two beautiful daughters? Like, how do you it's teach? It's a good, you know, it's a good question. Uh, we, we do say, we, we make Ellie, when we watch Joel Osteen on TV, we say, Ellie, we're, you know, we either can watch church or we could go to church. Mm-hmm. You can choose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's something to be said uh, you know, about believing whatever you subscribe to, believe yep. in something greater than yourself. Um, I think there are numerous studies about the health benefits of yep. belief. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think, you know, life can throw you a lot of curveballs. And if you don't believe in something bigger than yourself, it's, it can kind of be, you know, a little depressing. I think it gives meaning, right? It, it does. Purpose. Meaning, purpose, and purpose, I think we're yeah. coming back to you on one end. Like, you know, you can get blood testing every quarter and analyze your microbiome and all this stuff. But if you don't have purpose, like, that, that's a, it's right. a, it's a big it's a problem. Big, right. it's, it's with regards, if we're talking about, like, just health benefits strictly. It's interesting. I feel like from the, the fitness side and the spirituality side, we've skirted around as, as we've gotten even deeper into the science. We're like, holy shit, like. That your spiritual your spiritual wellness is actually important. You you, you need something. Yep. You need something. And so for us with our kids, you know, 
we'll see, but th- th- it will be something. And I, I just, you know, th- there are just great lights, you know, whether you believe their stories or you believe these are mm-hmm. actual things that happened, there are just some great lessons in the Bible for kids, you know, do on to others as you know, like, come, like great rule. Yep. Great. Well, like I, said, I, don't, I don't go to church right now either, but I can say from being a bit growing, you know, spending a lot of time in church, I do miss the community element yeah. of that. Like singing praise to God is like the most divine thing in the world. You're I'm, singing some Hillsong United to God. It's a beautiful so I, thing. I, I was never into the all the other stuff. I like I liked a good sermon. That's why I like watching Osteen on TV. It's like, give me a good message and I'm back at it. Dude, I start off the, I start <laughs> off the morning with some gospel usually. But but going back, like, do you, do you think it's just... I feel like I go back to the original question that there's like something about wellness where it's like not cool to be Christian, but it's cool to like, you know, like a, to, to be a tarot card reader. Right. Not, not that there's anything wrong being that or astrology. Like Colin and I joked, like we walked into a uh, like Urban Outfitters in, in Austin and we were looking at all the books to see what, you know, younger generation was into. So mm-hmm. if I, we had to summarize the book assortment, it was uh, essentially like, anxiety astrology and uh, like the occult yeah look <laughs> like I, witchcraft it was right. just like fascinating what, what's interesting to me again whether <laughs> what if you're the you know the tarot card reader yeah. or the, the the christian in you know rural alabama um i think that you have to sit there and recognize and respect other people's beliefs and how they get there um but again i i think we're all designed to know our creator i think that it's just as hard for me to grasp this whole tarot card world like it's out there for me. But I'm sure for that person, it's probably radical for them to think that I have found God through Jesus Christ. Right. So being able to listen to one another and just respect one another or just be respectful. And again, like I said, I said earlier, I don't really give a shit what camp you say you belong to. It's like, how do you treat people? How right. do you live your life? Like right. be you know, they say you know someone by there, their fruit. Yeah, there are a lot of terrible Christians who go to church every Sunday. Well, the Christian, the, you know, I, I, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, or whatever I, religion we're talking well, about. Again, or, I can't speak for Christ, for Christians as a whole. No, probably, I, I know, right? I know. Um, but I would say the Christian church has some obstacles to, to every, face. Every religion does, right? But I mean, right, but right now, like, and I think why the you know more spirituality side is the Christian church, at least growing up in the '90s was very much anti-homosexual, right? Mm-hmm. And your kids are going to grow up and your kids now realize I'm like, that's not right, right? Like, so the church is going to figure out how to, how to handle that one particular social issue because the Bible is pretty clear against that, right? There's, you can interpret the Bible. It's, how, it's funny how you watch a Mayor Pete out there who seems like a dynamic guy running for president. I can't watch any of the debates. It's pretty dynamic guy, it. but the Bible's pretty clear <laughs> on, on that on that issue, right? So it's interesting to see like how the church is going to figure out a way to evolve with the younger kids, because um, I think it's important that we do come together and worship God. So it's going to be interesting to see how that happens. So what role does your faith play in how you work with people? I'm curious. I think it's everything. I mean, I, like I said, I'm. By no means the perfect guy, right? Like, like I say, I say fuck and shit and pray to God, hey, right? There's some poor guy listening. You punched his teeth out 20, right. you know, 15 years ago. <laughs> God, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. He did start it. <laughs> um, but it's. I think it's everything, man. At least like that's why I start my day. I always say like with movement and mindfulness because it allows me to put on the right lens, I believe, to see things. And it's the way – like I don't understand – I never understood how you could go to church on Sunday – 
and be a businessman and treat people poorly during the week. Sure. You know, like we're, we're supposed to treat people like brothers and sisters. And so like, so let's say for example, like TMAC Fitness and Mind Body Green entered this business arrangement, right? Like it's my desire to make sure this is a great situation for you guys, right? And it's not because it's like, maybe you lose 10% of what you might get if you negotiated harder, right? And you need to be profitable, but at the end of the day, like, I want it to be a good situation for Mind Body Green. I want the customer at home to have a great experience. And I think that, again, this goes back to my fundamental belief that we're all connected, that we're all brothers and sisters. And if you're suffering, I'm suffering. Mm-hmm. And so I think it goes, it, I don't know how you can separate, if, whether it be a you know church pew or a yoga mat, how you can like not carry your spiritual practice with you to how whoever you're dating, whoever you're married to, or however you work in, in your professional life. So how would you describe your fitness philosophy? You're, you're clearly doing something right. You have a great business, you're successful, and there's no shortage of people trying to make it in this world doing what you do. So how would you describe your philosophy and why do you think it's unique? I think it's unique because, again, there aren't too many people from North Florida that have spent their whole life training as an athlete and in the second half of their life studying yoga. So I think it's a little unique in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think ultimately why it's sticking is that it's our, it's our job as teachers and educators is to take the complex and make it simple. And my deal is move every day. I really don't care if it's one of my 20-minute workouts or if it's going for a run, swim, playing basketball. Just figure out a way to move, even if it's just 10 minutes of yoga. And then I would say it's very important for you to switch over the nervous system and take a few moments to connect to your spiritual practice, whatever that looks like. And so I think that's, that's what I've built my program around is movement and connecting to your spiritual practice and giving it to people in a way that's attainable, right? Like our workouts are 20 minutes, no equipment. There's really no excuses. And then each one ends in a brief meditation. And so like people are like, all right, I know praying's good. I know meditation's good. But if I do my 20-minute meditation today, I'm not going to get in my... 30 minute or 45 minute soul cycle workout, right? So how can we work about like taking what you're doing good right now and then stacking it on top? And I think that's why people are sticking to our programs for years and years. So what do you think we're getting so wrong about working out? You know, it's something we've talked about for, it's going on for, for years, yet people don't stick with it or they don't see the results. Or, or, hey, first question would be, are you working out for performance and a goal or for it to be in a positive mindset and to feel better, right? As an athlete, like you need to follow, as playing football at University of Florida, there's a certain program you need to follow, right? To be able to have explosive type two muscle fibers, to be able to jump, to be able to rush off the line, to do these things, right? And you need to probably follow a more strict plan. But for the rest of us, like I work out honestly to feel good. Sure. That's it. And I really don't give a damn if it's an ocean swim or one of my 20 minute workouts. And so I think sometimes we're like, all right, we've got to do CrossFit or we've got to do yoga. Figure out a way you like to move and do that. Well, I feel like most people want to feel good. They want to look good and they want to do something that's going to benefit their long-term health. Right. But then most of us go to short-term fixes, right? <laughs> and realize that staying in shape is just, it's really, a, it's a very boring word. It's called consistency. So what do I do? So I'm, for me personally, I'm short on time these days. Yeah. I I heard that earlier. You got 20 damn minutes, bro. I do five. To, so I do, I do five to 10 and I'll, and, I'll yep. and, and so what I do, and I'll tell you that this is what I subscribe, okay. subscribe to, and I'll get your take on it. So I'll walk everywhere. We're on the fourth Love floor. That. I always take the stairs. So like Working I get 10,000 steps yep. a day. Like I'm always moving. I'm always walking. If there's, you know, I'll take the stairs unless it's like 10 flights. I'll just do it. Um, 
so a lot of walking i'll try to i'll try to go fast upstairs i will there's a gym in our building so i'll go to the gym like maybe twice a week i'll do weights like 10 five five to ten minutes short yep i will do yoga on the weekends five to ten minutes short sweet maybe a little longer yep. sometimes uh, when i can i'll try to you know inhale for two exhale for four a little breath work a little mindfulness whatever i can do like that that's sort of my what works for me at, for for me at age 45 with two little kids, kids and, running a and running a business and the world i live in why do you think that's not right just i'm to, just asking no I, I, I mean, to me it seems like to you're me, doing to me it's it's I, very it, to me i think you're on it right like you're you're subscribing to everything i said like you're moving your body every day Walking's great for you. You're getting your heart rate up a little bit walking up the stairs. You're connecting to your spiritual practice. I think you're doing a hell of a job. And is it that simple for everyone else? Just find something you like. Just those those, those pillars: movement, uh, spirit, and well. And that would you get a time the nutrition part as well, yeah, right? Well, yeah, of course. But I think that the gym industry—they make all their money in January. No one you're going to sign up for the damn gym membership, and by March you're not going to be there. Right. So if going, I'm not opposed to the gym. If you can go to the gym, great, go do it. But if it doesn't fit your lifestyle, you have two or three kids, you got to commute to work. You got to rethink this. How can you walk the 10,000 steps, take the stairs, but again, move yourself every day, try to get your heart rate up a little bit, connect to your spiritual practice, whatever that looks like. And then you can talk into the food part, which I think is, you know, as far as aesthetics and stuff, it's more important than necessarily the workout Mm -hmm. for sure. Like the whole lot saying that abs are made in the kitchen is true that eat Eat real whole food. So how, if you say abs are made in the kitchen, how are they made? <laughs> uh, avocados. Avocados. I, I think I think fats in general are great for you. Healthy fats. T- healthy fats. But we could argue, you could, I think that me and my vegan brother and sisters could agree on about 70% of our diet, but the other 30%, we would probably disagree. I think animal fats, wild salmon. I eat some deer meat when we go hunting. Um, red meat, like a good grass-fed steak. Something clicks in my brain. My body responds well to it. But three-fourths of my plate is always vegetables. Sure. So I would say that, you know, eat mainly vegetables, like you say a lot. And then I would say throw in some quality sources of protein and fat. And I'm curious. I agree with you. I'm, I'm more of a vegetable guy these days. Yep. Uh, in terms of working out, in your opinion, are there certain exercises or way to work out that are more efficient like if you can you know are push-ups better than sit-ups or i'm making it up like what what are things right. are just more or like everyone's very excited about high if, intensive interval, yeah. interval training so i think that if your joints assuming your joints are fine yes right your low your backs aren't hurting your knees aren't hurting you can't beat the efficiency of hit training high intensity interval training right even if it's just third i found over the years that if you can get your heart rate around that 80, 90% max for anywhere from about seven to about 25 minutes, I've had like some Olympians that I can push to about 30, but those are like Olympians, right? And that seven to 25 minutes, a couple of days a week does a lot of good. That being said, if you're, you know, a tall former basketball player, if doing squat jumps doesn't feel good on you and walking works, then walk, right? But I would say that if you're in a time crunch, hit training makes sense. Um, I think that if you're going to add a load to it, whether it be some sort of weights, mm-hmm. you need to make sure you're properly warmed up. And like, for example, like my body responds very well to weights, right? But for me to go to the gym and do a proper warm up, it's going to take 20 minutes of a warm up. It's going to take another probably 15 minutes by the time I leave my home and get to the gym. Sure. I also need to do about a 20 minute cool down for me not to hurt. I can do it once or twice, but for me to continue that, you're looking at about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minute deal, right? 
And that's fine if you have that time. I'm not against it. But the reality, like I said, there's someone right now listening that's commuting to work, has two kids. I, I want you to go to soccer practice at night, not necessarily go to the gym. Watch your kids right. play. So with regards to hit, how do you know if you're like, what, what do you need to feel? Do you need to be out of breath? Do you need to sweat? Like, how do I know if about seven minutes? Typical like, anaer- so typical anaerobic, right, is like if you and I are casually talking the easiest way, you know, some of these gadgets are great. I love what we're doing technology, but some of them are still, they're improving. The easiest way, your typical, like if, if you're having a hard time talking right now, like Jason, I, I can't hardly get in my breath, you're typically in your anaerobic zone. That's when you know you're, you're around that 80, 90% heart rate max. And you want to be in that, it literally, as little as seven minutes a day can have impact, positive benefits. Sign me up for seven minutes. Well, you got to warm up first. So that's why, if you notice, which is funny, right? Like I, our 20, my warm up is my walk home. What? Yeah. But if you notice, again, I always joke with people, like they were like, they expect our 20 minute workouts to be all hit. They almost yeah. all have about a six to seven minute warm up, and then it's only about thirteen minutes of hit training, in in our, in our twenty minute workouts. So it's like you know, there's a little bit of thought that goes in behind it. And something I think is really interesting about what you do is you incorporate meditation, mind mm-hmm. right. Yeah, that that's your thing. I love it. Like talk about it's is unique. It a, Most people don't integrate that it with a, the workout. Some people call it a prayer. Some people call it meditation. Um, again, kind of what I've learned. We talked about this earlier. Is, since I was 12, I've been almost waking up every day again with, with two parts of what I call my daily mind right meditation, which consists of four parts. I stay of each part in roughly about a minute, but it's not timed. The first part, again, is my, was my early prayers as a Christian. God, just thank you for this day. Gratitude. Gratitude, right? Just being, even in tough times, just thank you for this roof over my head, my health, whatever it may be. It can be very simple. And then should we go into the rest of it? Sure, yeah. The second part is lifting up a loved one, right? So it's like, say you're praying for Ellie today. You're, you're visualizing her having a great day. You're pouring blessings upon them. You're seeing a glowing light over your daughters, right? Like that's a, it makes you connected to something bigger than yourself today, right? And in this world today, I think it's so important. We get so caught up in me, 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 right? Mm-hmm. So that that's, again, the first two phases. The third phase I learned as an athlete, visualizing success today. So the story I always like to tell is when I was a sophomore at University of Florida, we were playing South Carolina. Lou Holtz was the coach at the time. And we, I was studying film that week. And, you know, usually you probably do the same thing in basketball. The night before the game, you're playing, you know, playing the game in your head, so to speak. You know, but you're a 19-year-old kid. You're also texting your girlfriend. You're also doing all this stuff in the hotel. Well, Coach Holtz liked this one formation in short yardage. And for whatever reason, sure enough, it's fourth quarter, a couple minutes left in the game. It's fourth and one. The game's on the line. They get the first down, and they punch it in, and maybe they win. If we, we hold them, we win. You know, there's 90-something thousand people screaming in the stands. And sure enough, they came out in that formation that I saw that night before in my head. And everything went silent. You know, athletes talk about being in the zone. It was mm-hmm. the most present I've ever been, right? I could see the blades of grass. I could see, the like, the red, the blood in the offensive lineman's fingertips. I could see the fullback's pupils. And I knew what was happening before the play took place. As soon as the ball was snapped, I just shot the gap, hit the ball carrying the backfield, and we won the game, right? Crowd went wild. Went to meetings on that Monday, and my linebacker coach was like, I have no idea how the hell you knew that was happening. You weren't supposed to be there, but I totally took credit for it, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm a, 19, I'm a 19-year-old kid, right? And I'm like, he's like, how did you know that was happening? I was like, I saw it happen before it happened, and I couldn't really articulate it at the time. And so the third part of my mind right meditation, this comes a lot as a business owner, is I visualize success today. Today, I visualized this podcast, what it was going to be like, what it was going to feel like. So visualize success today. Have that moment now before you have it. 
And then the fourth part is just being present, being still, right? Listen to the rise and the fall of the breath, the sounds of the room, and just be. And that's when, you, that's when the magic happens, is when the mind's able to still. And again, I think that, you know, our friend Melissa Urban of Whole30 talks about this. And Melissa, she said she struggled with meditation her whole life and has been able to meditate almost every single day now in the gym. And the gym's kind of her church, so mm-hmm. to speak, in that safe Or hiking. Or hiking, hiking. right? She's, hiking. Today I went to church. I went to church, here, yeah. right. Beautiful photo in Utah. Like, take me there. <laughs> take me, please. I'm here in Brooklyn. <laughs> um, and so, but there's something, she, she compares it to like why this meditation I think is working is that movement, exercise, so to speak, is kind of like a kid with a tinter tantrum. You need <laughs> to shake things out, right? And then it's easier to still the mind. And so most of us have failed meditation. We just like wake up, can we meditate? Some people that works for most people I've come across, it doesn't. So if you can shock the system, whatever type of way you want, then do this brief four-minute meditation. People are having a lot of success. People are in the gyms. People are in CrossFits. People are finishing their morning runs and doing it. And to me, the more people we have moving and connecting, everyone wins. So my, my last question, any advice that, look, there are so many people trying to make it in this industry and th- there are so many trainers out there and some good and some bad. Any advice to anyone looking to, to do this and, and build a successful business? It's super competitive. Yeah. it's So I'd say a few things. Again, I, I'm talking. So, you know, I've been at this for 10 years now. 10 years ago, it was not that, like, sexy of a job to say I'm a personal trainer, right? Could you imagine explaining to your friends and family back home, like, I'm not a stockbroker anymore. I'm a personal <laughs> trainer. I'm carrying a wife beat around in an A-frame sign that says TMAC Fitness, right? Now, personal training, like, you've got all these, like, they're making a lot of money, right? And it, it, I think just want to make sure that if you're getting into the fitness industry, you're getting in it for the right reason, to help people. And then I think if you have a strong why, you can, and these are your God-given gifts, right? If you can align your God-given gifts with your skill set, you'll eventually figure out a way to make money at it. But most people quit because I don't think they're properly aligned. Maybe they go into it for, to get Instagram followers or to make money, right? You're in the wellness space to help people. So if you can start that way, I think that's the most important thing. Okay, really last question. What's your, what's your take on, you always see them, the trainer is not in shape. It's kind of like taking stock advice from a broke man. I don't I have a hard time. Like, You wouldn't give a broke man your money, I don't think. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't grasp that. I'll, I'll give the trainers a little bit of a breather. Like, Usually you start off here in shape and you want to share that with people, and then now you're driving around L.A. training nine people a day. And you don't have time to work out you, yourself. Hence yeah. why these how these 20-minute workouts, I'd be in the park. You know, just knocking these out in a park. People thought it was crazy. Um, yeah, if you're in the wellness space, you need to take care of yourself. You got to lead by example. I love it. We'll close there. All Todd, right. thanks so much. Thanks for having me, brother.